Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. He is Jesus. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So here's this story Jesus tells, it's a parable, about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of those sheep wanders off or runs off, some, somehow gets disconnected from the rest of the sheep family. Well, that sheep is, uh, is a sheep, and he's by himself. He's separated from the shepherd. He's shepherd, separated from the other sheep. His next likely relationship is to be dinner for a wolf or a pack of wolves because there's no safety for a sheep all by itself in the wilderness. But the shepherd, it, 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 it's, it's a, almost it's like a, a shortened version of the the parable of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, he, he, he decides that he's going to determine his own life. And off he goes, dishonors his father, off he goes, lives this horrible, filthy life until there's nothing left. He comes back basically as a beggar, and, and, and his father doesn't just grudgingly receive him home. As soon as he sees him turn, the father runs to him. Put the robe on him, put the finger on him, or the ring, get the sandals, and, and, and it's the same thing. See, that lamb was potentially going to end up just like the lamb that is the prodigal son that went out. He, was, he got devoured by the world. The lamb was going to get devoured by the wolf, but the shepherd went and got him, and he brought him home. And the lamb wasn't just reconciled to the flock. He was also reconciled to the shepherd. So that's the, that's the foundational thing for the next, I don't know how long, but I got lots of scriptures, is relationships. The kingdom is about relationships. The kingdom is about first, vertical, horizontal. First of all, vertical relationship. Nobody comes into God's kingdom until they establish a vertical relationship. And, and from the perspective of mankind, because we were gods before we were even formed in our mother's womb, he knew us. He, he, he knew our personality. I mean, our, the uniqueness of us. And then we were born into this corrupt world, corrupted in our father Adam. So you could almost say returned back to relationship. But if you didn't want to, you could say established. But the first relationship that has to be established or reestablished is a vertical relationship. And quite frankly, if, if we understand the scriptures right and we're um, humble and obedient towards them, if this relationship is always rock solid, these relationships will be too. Everything. I'm, I remember, I've told you this before, but I remember Teresa met Jesus before I met Jesus. I wasn't crazy about the idea of having a church-going wife, and, you know, I just thought it was all nonsense, and it was going to cost me money. But she changed so fast and so much. 
And all these people she hung out with. I called it Bizarro Land, like these two different places. I'd lived right next to Bizarro Land my whole life. Bizarro Land people shopped at the grocery where I shopped. They drove on the roads. I didn't know they existed. So she got into Bizarro Land a little before me. That's the kingdom. And I remember telling myself one day, she'll never cheat on me. I, you know, you got a pretty wife. You worry maybe, you know, some guy would have a look at her and he's cuter than me or whatever. I said, my wife will never cheat on me, not because she loves me, because she loves Jesus. That that relationship was protecting this relationship. But there are horizontal relationships. There's horizontal relationships within the church. You have a relationship with everybody else, really within the church, right? We're all one big church. Somebody asked me the other day, they used to go to church here, <laughs> drove by, must have noticed the fancy new swing set we got out here. Hey, could I bring my daughter over to play in a swing set? I'm like, of course you can. Now, it was a text. It wasn't a lot of words, but my attitude is, listen, there's only one church. We got this swing set. Somebody else has got a youth meeting on Wednesday nights. There's just one church. You come and play in a swing set anytime you want because there's just one church. But the church is broken up just like a big body into little portions of the body. So you have a relationship with each other. That's important. It's really important. And then if you, you kind of dwindle it down a little or carve it down a little tighter, you, you have a relationship in your home. You have a, a relationship of marriage, if you're married, with the husband and a wife. You have a relationship as a father with children, as children with a father, as a mother. I mean, there's all these horizontal relationships that are established well in the vertical relationship. And that's, that's what the conversation is going to be about. Because when the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, what they try to do first is to break relationship with yourself. And Lauren, your testimony was awesome this morning because that's identity. He tries to get your relationship, the right relationship. I think you used two words. I can't remember. True relationship or whatever relationship. Real relationship. But God created you. You have to identify, it seems weird like you're schizophrenic or something, but you know what I mean. You have to identify with who God created, not your behavior, not this or not that, because all of that is just corruption and, you know, you should stop it if you're doing bad stuff. But the point is, he first wants to destroy your relationship with your real or true self. And once he can get that, now he can start to work in your heart to destroy your relationship with your neighbor, your relationship with your husband or your wife, your relationship with your kid, your relationships at work, and ultimately your relationship vertically with God. Okay. Wow. So we'll start here. I only have like four scriptures, but they're like this long. <laughs> oh. Let's start here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. For the, I, I couldn't figure out where. I mean, down in here is the one I was looking for, but context makes you go back a ways. And I probably could have gone back paragraphs, but I'll start here. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls, or some translation compels us. For the love of Christ controls or compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, or she is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled, this is the part you got to hear, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, which is the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though we were making an appeal, excuse me, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, I didn't include the next verse because it, it wasn't part of my point, but it's too good to leave out, and I think I can remember it. The next thing says, for he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. When it starts off and it says, for the love of Christ compels me, and it finishes with that Christ who knew no sin became sin and bore the weight of the wrath of sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ, I can see why God's love compels me. Amen? Okay. There's a few places in the New Testament where it speaks like that. The love of Christ compels me. I don't know whether it's my love for Christ that it's saying specifically, or it's Christ's love for me. Like, he has so revealed his love for me, all I have to do is look at the cross, that I'm just compelled to be his, his tireless ambassador to bring more people to know that love. Or because of that, I'm so in love with Christ, I guess it really doesn't matter, that I'm compelled for the same reason. I've shared this with you before. It just popped into my head. I thought it was going to be quick, but you knew that wasn't true. Um, we were in Africa. And I'm, I'm um, always looking for a tangible, right? Have you ever had a, like a tangible, like a, a tangible experience with God where you could feel him? Yesterday, yesterday at the healing room, nobody showed up but us. No other people showed up. So we ministered to one another. But before it was time for the people to come, we were praying and singing to the Lord. And Patty Carter was, you know, the Lord was touching her and she was crying. And I don't remember exactly how she got here. Oh, she said, somebody said, what's he doing to you or something like that? And she said, he's here. He's so present. See, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I really love your gift. That's probably because you're such a sweet-natured person. Anyway, she walked up here. She said, he's right here. Now, I don't know how that works with your theology, but she came up here, and the ladies came up here. No men came up here. Stupid men. Anyway, <laughs> I was over there someplace, and I walked, and I'm telling you that I can't say God's honest truth. Don't swear by anything, but I, I, I walked like this. Bam. I could feel it. I mean, I could feel Nope. Yes. Oh, my. And I could feel, I don't know, you know, I can't even describe it to you. I get the tingles. It wasn't, ting it wasn't tingles. It was like that thing that wells up inside of you, and you just want to cry, like a, like a glory kind of something. And I felt it. And I thought, stupid men. <laughs> I don't mean you're not stupid. You're real smart guys. But 
it's like when they say the glory cloud. In the Bible, it talks about the glory cloud. I didn't see a mist or anything like that, but I felt it. So I'm always, I want that. It's so affirming to me. But the Lord, he'll test us in ways where we don't get to feel that. You know, he'll want us to, to know. There's a reason why I said that. I've completely lost it. Don't ever let me get out of the chair again. Oh, thank you. I'm in Africa. La, 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 la. <laughs> Butterfly. <laughs> I'm glad I'm the guy that edits the recording. <laughs> so I'm in Africa, and, and we're in this ministry called Iris Ministries. Heidi and Roland Baker were there for the whole summer in Mozambique under this big tent, sandy dirt ground underneath us, plastic chairs every single day, you know, pretty much. We're there, and we're worshiping, and... The glory of God just ascended in that place. And people were weeping and just being so touched by the Lord. And it was awesome. And I was like a oak stump, a big old rock. It's like I felt nothing. I'm watching this and I'm, I'm just totally nothing. And I, I started to say, Jesus, look at these people. Look at how you're touching them, Jesus. Where's mine? As words, exact words I use. Jesus, where are, where's mine? And I don't know, after a few minutes of that whiny whatever, you think maybe God smacked me on the head and said, where's your faith, brother? He didn't. He took me into a vision. And here's what it was like. I'm like me. I'm right here on earth. And I looked up into the sky. And like maybe where the moon would be was Jesus. And he was big like the moon. I mean, he was right there. And he had his hands like this. But he wasn't turned straight towards me. He was turned a little sideways. I could see his face. <laughs> the outline of his face through the hole in that hand. And I'm like, Lord, where's mine? And he, he let me see him through the hole in his hand. And he said, Pat, I don't know what else I could do to show you how much I love you. And I'm like, that's good enough, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I just started crying. I thought, man, you're like a two-year-old because you, you don't, you know, you just don't... Wait, wait, wait. I, I know that was a, the first time I heard that word. It was I had that twice. Um, years apart. Anyway, the point is that it's nice. It's nice when we have such a revelation of God's love that it just compels us. But what did Jesus say to somebody? It's like, blessed are those who something have not seen and yet believed. Amen. Amen. So we're the lost sheep. And and somebody in the Lord was like, he sent them out and they came and, and they brought, helped him to bring us back into the fold. He says that they no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. When we talk about love in the context of vertical and horizontal relationships, that's the essence of love right there. It's a sacrifice. It's when you stop seeing yourself as more important than other people. When you start to understand love, and I'm not trying to criticize anybody because I struggle with this. I'm always wanting the big piece of chicken. That's one of the things that Lord showed me. You're selfish. And I said, I am not selfish. He said, yes, you are. And then he went silent. And then that night, 
There was three pieces of chicken on the stove. It's like, what's it, the three little bears or something? There's the big piece, the middle piece, and the small piece. I walk up first. I jam my fork into the big piece of chicken. And, and I heard the Lord say to me, selfish takes the big piece. I'm like, come on, I'm the dad. Nobody eats as much as me. But I understood exactly what he's doing. And point to point to point, he showed me how selfish I am. Was, still am to some extent, but, but he's, he's delivering me out of that. The point is, that's the essence of love, is sacrifice. It's to consider yourself more lowly. What did he say about promotion in the kingdom? The one who's the slave of all is greatest in the kingdom. The one who's learned humility and cares nothing for himself, but he's more concerned for others. That's the love. When Jesus said that we're to love each other, not as we love ourselves, but as he loved us, that's where you get it, right there. Jesus loved us to the cross. And that's the kind of love we're supposed to have. And see, Paul had that revelation. And he, Corinth was a, was a jacked up church, right? And he's trying to help them. But his love for Christ, Christ's love for him, compelled him in this way. And so we've actually got this defined ministry. It's called reconciliation. Reconciling people to God, but I think in the broader context, reconciling people to one another, because we minister to busted relationships, busted personal relationships, identity, people don't know who they are, they're tormented. We minister in the Holy Spirit to get that fixed. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, neighbors, and all these different ways. We have this ministry, and its name is reconciliation. It starts with getting people reconciled back to the Father. So once this one gets right, then these ones can get right. Till this one is right, it's going to be hard to get these ones right because there's something that happens when this one gets right that facilitates these getting right. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit. And that's true. But until this one gets right, the power to make all of them right doesn't live inside of us. And his name is Holy Spirit. He's a person. And he's powerful. We've been assigned as ambassadors of Christ. So if we're an ambassador, then where we are isn't our home. We're someplace else, right? Where's our home? Heaven. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus right now. And then we as his body are here as his ambassadors. And we're speaking as though God himself were speaking through us. So it's good that we be a little bit careful how we talk, right? Because we want to actually reconcile people to God. That's why the gospel is so important. He's given us the word of reconciliation. That's why the gospel is so important. Because you can reconcile somebody to an imagination, an idol, with a gospel that's not the gospel. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we have to be careful with that word we speak. But we're literally been given the honor of God dispatching us into this broken, junked up world to bring about vertical relationship with him, and then all the rest can get better. Okay, so reconciliation. Then once reconciled, here's what comes next. And this is another long one. I'll try to be shorter about the talk. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. So at the beginning of chapter 12, um, or you know, just after the beginning, Paul lists. He says, everybody's got a gift, and here's what they look like. So everybody's got a gift. You should say, I have a gift. You did say it. Good job. Everybody has a gift. You are all gifted by God. You probably have more than one gift, but everybody is gifted 
to bring about God's purposes in your life for him. You have a gift. You're not out there trying to figure out how to get something done. He didn't tell you to cut down a tree without giving you a chainsaw. You have what you need. He's gifted you so that we can build each other up and we can build up the kingdom. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in 12. This is the next part. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So here we start to see this this unity. I don't know which is the right way to say it. Unity and diversity or diversity and unity. But you can start to see there's all these different parts that are unified together. And when, when they all come together and all their gifts are functioning, basically we get Christ. Jesus has wisely chosen not to give anybody everything. If I had everything, I wouldn't need anybody. And that's how I'd act. I'd be so proud and so arrogant that I'd run around and everybody would worship me like they worship Jesus. Or you like they worship Jesus. But that's not his design. His design is that we would be like this. And the only way that we can be absolutely fruitful is when we're like this and every gift is functioning in the body. You cut off the arm, can the body function? Sure. Does it function as well as it could with two arms? It doesn't. So he's wanting us to understand that you have something that's necessary and you have something that's necessary and you have something that's necessary. And Margie talked to us about driving in our own lane one time. Kind of like everybody operating in the giftings that we have, then we bring the fullness of Christ to bear against this world and for each other. 14, for the body is not one, oh yes, but for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So think about that. Not only were you, were you uniquely created in God's heart or his mind before the foundation of the world, you were uniquely created for a purpose that he enabled when you came into relationship with him specifically. Sorry, I just lost my place. Let this be one second. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, 
you are Christ's body and individually members of it. By one spirit, baptized into one body, made to drink, be nourished, be filled from one spirit. That's us in relationship. Outside of relationship, we're crippled, we're handicapped, we're dysfunctional in some or many ways, but unified together in the kind of relationship that we're called to, then we represent the fullness of Christ to each other and to the world. So for now, here's the, here's the first step, kind of bottom line. John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But if you, if, you, if you search John the Baptist in the Gospels, the first place you find him, that's what John the Baptist preaches. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you do the same thing for Jesus, the first thing you find, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance to prepare the way for the king of the kingdom of heaven. The king of heaven came and preached about the kingdom, that it was at hand. John the Baptist prepared the way. The people repented so they could receive the king because his kingdom is a righteous and a holy kingdom, right? And then he demonstrated the power of the kingdom to bring things into alignment with the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know if it's perfect theology or not, but I like the way it reads and I can make a good case for it. He said that we should pray to our Father, your kingdom, God my Father, your kingdom come on earth as it... Oh, your kingdom come and your will be done. Somebody asked, well, what's God's will? Well, on a macro level, you can say heaven. Because he said that that reality, he wants to become this reality. So you got a hurt knee? Hurt knees in heaven? God's will for it to be healed? Now, there's some caveats that we could wrap around there, but generally, on earth as it is in heaven, heaven represents God's will. That's the picture we have of God's will. So if it ain't in heaven, it ought not be here, and he's empowered us to bring heaven to earth. Right? Okay. On earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom. King. Subjects. Jesus also said this in Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. <laughs> I heard a little Africa come out of my wife right there. He's established a kingdom. He has a kingdom. He is the king. Wherever there's agreement, the kingdom comes out. If two or three are gathered in my name, ask me whatever you want and you'll get it. Why? Because you're in agreement. Well, your first agreement has to be with the king, but you're in agreement together. And he provides what you ask for. But if we are not in relationship, in unity, together, one spirit, one mind, one body together, one mission, then we're double-minded as a body to some extent, and we become a house divided. In, in a home, in our home, married, me and Therese, if, if we 
come out of agreement with the Lord for who knows whatever reasons, and, and we're, we're now becoming divided, guess what? The kingdom of our home is going to struggle to stand. We have to be together. What does together look like? Well, the scriptures tell us exactly what that's supposed to look like. I give you a hint. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Jesus himself said, what are you doing digging around in your neighbor's eye looking for a splinter when you can't see past a plank that's in your own eye? Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. There's a couple of marriage scriptures you can just hang your hat on. If you're struggling, the first place you look is not for the splinter in somebody else's eye, but to get that log out of your own eye. And men, that's your job first before it's her job even. Because you cannot lead from a blind spot. Okay, so a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Walk it all the way down. Walk it all the way down and you'll find in every instance of relationship if we're not careful with how we maintain relationship, then the kingdom, it's a, maybe it's a bad metaphor, but the kingdom of that relationship isn't going to hold together. It's going to fail. Here's an example. Again, Corinth. A good church to learn lessons from. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, from 10 to 13, the Apostle Paul speaking, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, she's a snitch, by Chloe's people, a rat, <laughs> that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So there's two things, two things I see in there that are happening. First, the exhortation. Listen to the exhortation. I exhort you, that you all agree. Well, who's going to agree with everybody? We don't agree with each other. What do we agree with? I wish I had a paper Bible I could wave. We agree with the Word of God. We agree with Christ. So if we, if we agree with Christ and we find some reason why we're disagreeing with each other, you know what we're going to find? One or both of us isn't agreeing with Christ. Okay? All right. So the first thing, I exhort you that you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be made complete. How did he say to be made complete? In the same mind and in the same judgment. Man, it's powerful. It's, it's speaking to the unity of the church. There's two places that I'm aware of. It's, it's another weeks of this sermon. Um, that we would, that love is the perfect bond of unity and that we'd be unified somehow in the peace of Christ. That's in Colossians, I think. I don't remember, but, but peace, if we will walk in the peace that we have and we will walk in love, then we have what binds us together, what unifies us together. We don't, we don't deal with each other with petty things when we deal with each other in sacrificial love, right? No selfishness. Okay, so the first is the exhortation. I exhort you that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then secondly is the issue. There are quarrels among you, 
and your quarrels exist like, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, or Peter, and I'm of Christ. And the key there, has Christ been divided? You have quarrels among each other because you're choosing the wrong place to identify with. Oh, yeah, but Paul says this. Oh, but Apollo said that. But, oh, I have tongues. Woo, but I have healing. It's like, stop it. Stop it. Somewhere in the New Testament it says, why in the world do you boast in a gift? If I prayed for 10,000 people and nobody ever got healed, and Jesus walked up, he said, I'm going to hold your hand and you pray for that one and they'll get healed. And I pray for that one and they get healed. And I run around telling everybody, I'm a healer. I didn't do anything. It was a gift. You don't boast in a gift. You're humble in a gift. You're grateful in a gift because God honored you with the privilege of participating. You see the lady, she's so weak. She's in the chair, she's so weak. She can't get comfortable. She's dealing with this for 18 months. And you watch her color change while you're praying with her. And you get the text message the next morning that says, I have energy, I haven't had... She said she slept. She doesn't sleep. She slept that night. Well, man, am I cool. It's like, no, you're not. You are honored by God in a co-mission to go and bring about the kingdom where it's not. And all we do is fall on our face and we say, God, that you would bless me to participate in something I could never do on my own and something so glorious. They were looking to be somebody. And there's somebody who is somebody. And the minute our somebody tries to be somebody, we get in the way of the one who is somebody, and then relationships get busted and things don't go how they're supposed to. Any kingdom or house divided against itself will not stand. So for today, the first order of business is the ministry of reconciliation. Through the word of reconciliation that brings that lost sheep back into the fold. In parallel then, the ongoing business is relationship and not division. So in the ministry of reconciliation we, we go, we declare the gospel to whoever will listen, we bring them in. Guess what they are when they come in? Born again, Right on in their spirit, busted like crazy in their soul. What does that require? Discipleship and the hard stuff of relationship, right? Because you hurt my feelings, because you this, because you that, but I don't know, but you said, and I this, and I felt, oh, I felt, I felt, but I felt. It's like, okay, well, it's good, but that's not truth, what you felt necessarily. Truth is what the Bible says. And we get into this ongoing process and then we think, okay, we've, we've gotten somewhere, and then the Lord reveals another broken part in a heart that wants to bust up a relationship. And we go and we minister to that so that relationships can be healthy, so that the body can be one, so that we'd be a city on a hill and, and draw all men unto Christ. That's why it's tough. Because we all got to drag that old man around with us. But the supreme ethic of the kingdom is love. If we can't remember anything else, we need to understand biblical love and walk in biblical love. And we'll have 90% of this thing knocked. The, the last, um, last thing that I'll share with you is uh, maybe at like, I think he was 12 years old, Jesus said this. I, I, 
I don't have it for you in King James. We haven't loaded the King James Bible, but I'll read it in King James for my friends in the back there just because it's fun. If you ever wonder how come he doesn't read from King James, this is it right here. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? I guess. I guess. I guessed we ye. But I did, I did go to King James, New King James, and here's what Jesus said at 12 years old when his family went to Jerusalem and then they were three days into their journey back in the caravan. They're like, anybody seen Jesus? <laughs> and they turned around and they went back and they found him in the temple. Just amazing, the rabbis, with the questions he was asking. And they're like, Jesus, now why would you do this? And his response, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Anybody says, what are you doing? I'm being about my father's business. Well, why are you doing that? I'm being about my father's business. Well, couldn't you have had this if you didn't do that? But that wouldn't be about my father's business. And the glory of being about our father's business is fruitfulness. It really is. It's, it's to see God's will being accomplished through guys like us who can't do anything on our own. But when he anoints us through that presence of his Holy Spirit, and we can go, and honestly, it's like I, I'm, I'm a, I just love to see healings. I just, it's just so affirming to me. It's like, you think God's not real? Who said they felt something grow? Teresa prayed for a person who had no calf muscle. And in like four minutes, they had a calf muscle. Like, hold the leg. Oh, 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 oh. It grew in their hand. Try to deny God after one of those, right? But now the, the, the passion is shifting a little bit towards the tormented soul. I thought you raised your hand. The tormented soul, people who have every day doubts about who they are, so they get tattoos. Now, you know, if you got a tattoo, that's cool, I guess. I'm, you know, I'm not too much of a tattoo or a piercing guy, but but you're looking to figure out how to get accepted. Well, maybe the tattoo people will accept me. Or maybe the piercing people will accept me. Pastor Jim tells a story about getting into drugs and stuff because he wasn't the cool kid in school. But the, the drug guys would accept him, so he hung out with them and took drugs. That's how he got started taking drugs. But you're already accepted in Christ, the only one that matters. None of those people get to punch your ticket, just God, right? Okay. Reconciliation, unto relationship, unto keeping relationship. That's the gist of the story that we're going to go through. Being about our Father's business. It feels like that's it in a nutshell. There's a whole lot that goes into it, but that's it in a nutshell. I love Eli. <laughs> you know what? When I'm discouraged... I mean, I'm not an altar call salvation kind of, you know, in the moment. I'm more like you need to hear the gospel for three hours from me kind of guy. But if I ever spoke to salvation, I know I'm always going to get one response, Eli. Eli's been saved like 12 times in church. He's the best. All right. Well, let's go back and worship a little more, then we'll go eat tacos. Father God, thank you. Lord, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our souls, or I don't know what the right way to say it is, but so that we can start to recognize where our relationships are busted. Help us to, to now start to turn towards your word in humility, Lord, so that we can see the only part we can control is us, our part. 
And then, Lord, by your grace and your power and your truth, Lord, shine us up. Have us to be in excellent relationships vertically with you, horizontally with each other, such that you might be glorified and made famous in this world through your city on a hill church. In Jesus' name.